Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, arable agronomist at Yara. Cereals need several key micronutrients in the autumn to achieve optimal growth. Yara Vita Grammatrol contains what the crop requires and gives an average 0.3 ton per hectare yield increase, with up to a ton per hectare seen in trials. To learn more, visit yara.co.uk. Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. Up this week, and we're digging down into the labour shortages that continue to dog the industry. No sector has been immune and as calls on the government to act grow louder, we ask what is actually needed to remedy this disastrous situation. And then looking longer term, what does it all mean for the future of the agricultural workforce? How do we attract and retain the talent we need? Here's Jess Fredenberg. So Tom, there are currently an estimated half a million job vacancies across the food and drink sector according to the NFU. Uh, Many listeners will be feeling some of this themselves, but can you please paint a picture for us about what the situation is right now across supply chains? Well, I I guess, Jez, if you've been listening to the news recently, you can't have avoided the, the problem that there is with HGV drivers and fuel shortages. That's just symptomatic of what's going on across wider society at the moment. And you know, we've been dealing with a shortage of seasonal workers in our horticultural businesses uh, for several years, really ever since 2016 and the vote took place. There's been a reluctance for some of those workers to come back. But now what we're seeing at the moment is spreading far wider across industry. It's affecting far more businesses and far more sectors and many different areas of the economy as well. So, you know, whether it be lorry tanker drivers picking up milk, whether it be a shortage of bulb pickers in our daffodil crops down in Cornwall or Lincolnshire, um, whether it be the, the um, fruit and vegetable pickers on farm, or particularly butcher, butchering staff, slaughtermen and processing capacity at our, at our meat processing plants, there's a huge issue right the way across the supply chain. Back in June, we decided to bring together the whole of the industry from the farm to fork supply chain to work together and coordinate a report which we asked Grant Thornton to to produce for us uh, to try and evidence exactly what was going on. And what we saw in that is that there's some some 4.2 million people employed in the farm to fork supply chain, but it's it's identified as over half a million vacancies. You know whether that be as I say HGV drivers, hospitality, or, or anywhere else in the food supply chain that's responsible for getting food from farm to fork. How would you say now the situation now in the food and farming sector compares to at the beginning of the COVID pandemic? So I think when the COVID COVID pandemic hit. Um, it clearly created turmoil with the out-of-home market being lost overnight uh, and then trying to replumb those supply chains into our retail customers where, all, where the majority of shopping was being done. And I don't think any of us thought we'd ever see uh, a crisis like that again. But where we are today, the pressure on our just-in-time food supply chain is like at no point I've ever seen. And really, the start of the COVID crisis pales into insignificance. At that moment, government were willing to do absolutely anything to make sure our shelves remain stocked. Whereas now, I think that, unfortunately, there are some people taking food supply for granted. 
And it's not necessarily being prioritized. And certainly some individual sectors aren't being prioritized in the way that they need to be to make sure that, A, we keep the supermarket shelves filled. And I, look, I think we will do that, but I'm sure that we're already seeing it. There's reduced choice on our shelves. But the bigger problems I see are that ultimately we're likely to lose the productive capacity of UK agriculture at the moment. We've got horticultural businesses downsizing. The pig sector is in absolute turmoil. And there will be pig producers going out of businesses now, and they will never come back into pig production again. So this is a a moment of restructuring that is completely unnecessary. And my honest opinion is that while we need to look at investing in skills for the long term, and we need to take responsibility for that as an industry, this short-term immediate crisis is created by a lack of workers willing to do the job, and the only solution is an immigration solution in the short term. Why do you think the government has kind of dropped the dropped the ball on this one? I don't necessarily think they have dropped the ball. I think that actually they've chosen to prioritise the ending of the free, freedom of movement and the ideologies that have been associated with um, decisions over the past few years rather than looking forwards. And I, my big fear is that we're all, everyone's looking backwards to five years ago and decisions that were made about leaving the EU. That decision was made, and it was five years ago. We need to move forwards. Uh, we need to stop looking over over our shoulders. We need to look at the challenges in front of us today and put solutions in place to those challenges immediately. We then look at the long-term solutions and what we need to do as an industry to invest in the workforce for the future. But they, that is not something that can be solved in the next week, the next two weeks, the next few months. It's something that's much longer-term and much longer-term planning. I think timing, like you've just said, is that really key here. Obviously, um, you know, a lot of people will have heard of the the twelve month COVID recovery visa that the NFU and other organisations have have put to government, and we know obviously that's uh, you know we've, we've had a kind of go ahead in the poultry sector with that, but there are obviously a lot of other sectors to take account of here, aren't there? You know, where where do you feel like things are with that, and is twelve months actually going to be enough because effectively isn't it kind of sort of saying to government right this is like a short term almost like a sticking plaster but you need to have you know sorted all of this out within 12 months if we're going to have to if we're going to be able to move on from a recovery visa there's a a few challenges there and and what we do know is that during the covid crisis some 1.4 million european workers have been displaced and have returned to their countries of origin rather than staying in the uk they have the right to work here and they could come back tomorrow if they want to there's big question marks um i'm not sure that many of those workers will decide to come back to the uk but there are many in government that are convinced those workers will come back and will want to come back so that displacement due to covid is one of the critical issues we're facing at the moment, you know, that particularly in our butchering capacity, a lot of those workers are Eastern European. And if they've decided to return home and they're not here at the moment, they can't do those roles. What the 12-month COVID recovery visa does is give us time to take stock as a country, to work out where, what the desire is to return over here and work um, and, and just take a long, hard look at where we are with our immigration policy and you know, the country as a whole with unemployment, now that furloughs come to an end, that's clearly going to have an impact. We're also asking for an urgent review by the Migration Advisory Committee of the impact of the new immigration policy on food supply. 
and food supply chains. And I think that that work would be undertaken in the next six months um, so that we can then influence what happens at the end of that 12-month recovery visa. So I, you know, I think it's, it's a pragmatic step to make sure that we um, recognize the, the challenges that are being faced in the, in the supply chains at the moment. And those are critical challenges. That for many businesses, they're now existential challenges. And um, we put a solution in place for the short term while we look at what the longer term solutions need to be. What would you say to NFU members at the moment who are, who are struggling with this issue? You know, is there anywhere they can go for support and advice um, on, on how to, to deal with this and manage their businesses through all of this? It's clearly a business by business case. Uh, I mean, you know, the waste, the on-farm waste at the moment, food waste is just tragic. Uh, you know, we, we're very close to having to have a, pel- a welfare cull in pigs. And that, that is something that is unimaginable, uh, having pigs disposed of that are perfectly healthy to eat would just be a complete travesty and something which should be avoidable. Um, so I, I guess, where do you go to from here? If you're a poultry business, then you are you will be eligible for the poultry um, visa, which has been announced. So in the short term, what you need to do is either get in contact with Call First or just get in contact with one of the four operators of the pilot scheme. Uh, and that will, you know, make sure that you're in the process of trying to find those staff that will be coming over, those 5,500 staff. Um, w- I think we understand the issues pretty well. And it's, I, you know, it, it, we've, we've done everything, we are doing everything we can with government. And I just find it incredibly frustrating. I, I'd say that Saturday was my worst day in this role because we became aware that pigs hadn't been included in the visa. And... I I knew just how critical it was for the pig sector, and we you know we spent at the time trying to do what we could to get that changed, but unfortunately you know we weren't successful. Um, yeah, the horticultural sector desperately needs to know about the long term and whether they're seasonal. You know, we've only got a pilot scheme at the moment. Is it going to be extended for next year? Is it going to be expanded for next year? Will it include daffodils and ornamentals? These are questions which urgently need answers. And we will be doing everything we can to give those answers over the coming days and weeks. I can understand your your frustration, Tom. It sounds incredibly frustrating and it's so wide ranging, isn't it, across all sectors? I mean, when you're going to government with these issues at the moment, do you feel like they're they're listening? Do you feel like they understand the urgency of the situation? Do you feel like they're taking action? But the, the stock answer is you've got to do more to recruit from the UK uh, and you've got to pay, high, pay higher wages. We know one business is advertising what would be an equivalent salary of over £60,000 a year for picking vegetables. They've got nobody interested in doing it. We've got other um, pork processing businesses advertising at £17 to £18 pounds an hour. They've got a 1,000 vacancies at the moment. They've got uh, an unemployment rate of 9% in a large town or city on their doorstep. And yet they've got nobody coming forward to do these jobs. But over the last decades, these are jobs that British people haven't had to do and arguably don't want to do. And you, you can't you know, sort of make a fit a square peg in a round hole, as it were. And I think that that's what we're trying to do at the moment. And businesses have gone out of their way to try and recruit from the UK workforce, working with the Department for Work and Pensions and the job centres. And the evidence time and again is that actually you go through this process and then you don't end up with a solution. And if you do end up with a solution, three weeks later, you're left with one out of 100 people. You know, it's, it's just 
the jobs that, that are out there and every developed economy around the world relies on a migratory workforce to do these roles. And I just find it um, quite amazing that our government thinks we are going to be any different. And I admire the, the drive to move to a high-wage, high-tech economy. It sounds fantastic. But if you're going to get there, you've got to have a roadmap. You've got to give businesses the opportunity to invest in technology um, and prepare for that five, 10 years down the road. It just You don't wake up one day and decide that you're now a high-tech, high-wage economy and everything else goes by the by. The by. And that seems to be what we've done just recently. And I, you know, it, it really is quite flabbergasting. Tom, thank you for being so open and candid on this issue. I think it's one that's going to rumble on for quite a while yet, isn't it? Let's hope that uh, everybody in Westminster is listening to this. And um, yeah, thoughts thoughts go out to all those producers who are struggling with this issue, uh, particularly those pig producers who might be facing some really difficult choices in the next few weeks. Have you been wondering if your maize is ready to harvest yet? It's really important that you cut it at the optimal time to maximise quality and to age storage in the clump. With modern varieties that stay green and with more variable weather, it can be difficult to get this right. But don't worry, just download the LG Maze Manager app. The harvest tool will lead you through a simple test in the field that will tell you when the maize crop is ready to harvest. It also includes a wealth of advice on the best varieties to use next season. Search LG Maze Manager in your app store today. Now we're going to head over to Hugh Lowe Farms in Kent to talk to soft fruit grower Marion Reagan about how the labour shortage is affecting her business and get her thoughts about the pressures of the just-in-time model on the horticulture sector. Marion and her family produce 6,000 tonnes of strawberries, raspberries and blackberries, and she's also Oxford Farming Conference Director this year. So listen out for details at the end about an OFC webinar that will be diving further into the labour issue in a couple of days' time. I started off by asking Marion about the seasonal labour shortage on her farm. And I suppose I've never known a time in my whole soft fruit growing career where there hasn't been a real focus on labour and uh, labour availability and productivity, but I've never known it as, as um, sort of uh, extreme as, as this. Um, and then um, associated with that is obviously um, the skilled agricultural um, uh, labour that we also need. So the technicians, the irrigation technicians, the ag agronomists, the uh, crop protection uh, experts, uh, people who understand pruning and um, crop management, um, as well as people who are skilled in managing other people. Um, when you have over 750 people on uh, the farm, then you need all of those skills. So we're short across uh, the whole gamut. Um, but particularly uh, when it comes to um, harvest labour. How do you think, Marin? how do you think this all sort of fits into the just-in-time uh, model mm. that we've got? Um, because it's obviously yeah. the, the, the needing that very sort of easily available seasonal workforce is all part of it, isn't it? 
Yes, I think that as a society, we've become used across the across the piece of to have consistent availability of of high quality goods uh, at the drop of a hat. And so we have all these just in time supply chains, uh, some of which are, are global and dependent on, on global um, supply chains. And maybe the penny is dropping that these are actually quite fragile. And particularly when the links in the chain um, depend on people being available, you know, people need to be managed and incentivized and, and looked after properly. And we've probably developed a, a habit as a society of, you know, things just being ever cheaper in, in real terms and ever more available. And I think that in our case, in fresh produce, when we've seen climbing labor costs, decreasing labor availability, but our customers are expecting consistent supplies at the same or lower price every year, then something's got to give. And uh, fortunately, it, well, not unfortunately, it can't be the people. You can't, you know, there's only so far you can ride this, only so far and so hard that you can ride it. And so I think that as a society, we need to start seeing some people paying more for what they expect to see on their shelves. I know, Jess, we were talking about the, the Oxford Farming Conference, of which I'm a director, has a, a, um, a webinar this week, which is looking at farming's future workforce. And that's very much where our minds are, are, are focused, is, you know, what is farming's future workforce? And I think we're making good progress towards um, automating and augmenting manual tasks. Um, and attracting in people to to work um, uh, on our crops. But we were blown off course by the COVID. And so I think we need that extra help as soon as possible. And not just in fresh produce, obviously, it's, it's across all of agriculture. Like you said, you've got a webinar coming up. This is the Oxford Farming Conference bite-size webinar on at midday until 1pm on the 7th of October. Anyone who wants to join could go on ofc.org.uk forward slash bite size forward slash 2022. Thanks for that, Jez, and to Marion and Tom. As we've just heard there, the industry is in need of long-term solutions, but short-term help is needed from the government. Let's hope it arrives soon. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. Until next week, though, from us at FG, thank you for listening. Goodbye for now.